Uh, we're going to be starting a, a short series on the book of Romans. Romans is like the constitution of the gospel, of our New Testament. It is, it is so rich. It's so deep. It is, dare I say, complex. So people like me and theology nerds and theologians armchair Bible scholars, they love Romans. Because it's just, it's like you're reading a law book almost. And in a sense, you kind of are. You're reading law, but you're reading the law of grace. And when people get it, they get fascinated with the book of Romans. And then they want to, then they want to teach it. And then they want to teach a 15-week course on the book of Revelation because they're so excited about it. But here's the problem. You're not... You're not, it's like, whenever we pitch, we're going to do Romans because it's going to transform your life. People are like, yeah, right. There's a saying, there's a famous saying in church life is that you build a group, you build a congregation by teaching the book of Revelation. Like people want to hear about Revelation. Why is that? Well, because there's cool monsters in the book of Revelation and it tells you the end of the age. So you get a sense of control. You get, you get, a, you get to know when, uh, when to stop paying your taxes because Jesus is coming back, right? You get these, these little insights. You get the inside scoop into the end of the world. And so we want to know about end times prophecy and revelation, eschatology, and so we get attracted to this. And well, the amazing thing about the book of Revelation says, if you read it, then you will be blessed. It's the only book of the Bible that says that. So I want to encourage you to read Revelation. But I want you to encourage you to read it from the right motivation and the right standpoint. You want to read it to be blessed. You don't want to read it as, as if it's a, uh, uh, you know, one of the eight ball thing that you shake up and you're going to get your fortune. And a lot of people read the book of Revelation in that sense. That's why it's so attracted to us. So the saying goes, you build a church by preaching Revelation and you kill a church by preaching Romans. Why is that? Why do we say that? It's because Romans, not only is it deep, complex, it deals with your heart, and it deals with something that we don't necessarily like to deal with. It deals with character. It goes after, it's like a big mirror. It, wants, it, it forces you to look at yourself. It forces you to look at the gospel, what it did, and it, 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 it demands a response. Grace demands a response. And it says, no, you're not, you're a new person. You have to change. You have to choose this. You have to choose to be healthy. You have to choose a moral lifestyle. You have to choose to develop your spiritual gifts and disciplines. This letter changed the world. It was written to probably the most influential people in history, the people of Rome at the time when Rome was literally ruling the world. And Paul knew this. Like it's almost as like it's a strategic letter and it was a strategic mission. Our whole Western culture is probably uh, influenced deeply by this book because Paul knew exactly who he was doing and who he was writing to. And this is an amazing thing. In chapter 1, I think it's around verse 5, Paul says, I am writing you this letter in the hopes, in the desires that I might impart into you some spiritual gifts for your strength, 
for your internal strength and for your edification. So here's the good news. We're going to kind of skip all the heady, theological, nerdy stuff, and we're going to get into what I really think he's going after is this interior life that we've been called into, being changed from the inside out, being a new creation, getting rid of our material desires, our sensual desires, everything that the world tells us that we need and want, the iPads, the whatever, the arm candy, whatever we think that we need and want that's going to fulfill us. Paul tells us, no, there's something more to life. There's something deeper. There is a spiritual dimension. And it is my desire as a people group, I'm going to impart into you some spiritual gifts. Wouldn't you guys like to have that? Why do we get spiritual gifts? He says it's for our strength. How many people need some strength in the season? You need it. And you need to receive as if Paul is writing and speaking to you specifically. The Holy Spirit wants to impart into you some spiritual gifts for your strength in this season, in this specific season. You are strong enough to get through the last season, but you're going to need something more to get you through this season. And for mutual encouragement. The way that it comes across is, It's not just the Holy Spirit encouraging you. It's you encouraging one another. This is the gift of prophecy that that the Holy Spirit gives the church, that we are to encourage one another, speak prophetically into one another, practice these things, practice even, even rejoicing and giving praise to God. This is what John does when he's uh, leading us into worship. He's, he's prodding you and he's pushing you to give praise with your lips. And even, even if you're an introvert, he's saying, we should do it anyway. You should at least give it a shot. What's it going to hurt? You should at least practice it. Well, this is not how I'm wired. It's okay. We can rewire the way that we think and act and the way that we live out our faith. Why not? Everything is beneficial when we begin to apply the practical word of God. Now, the whole linchpin, I believe, to Romans, cut out all the theological stuff, the whole linchpin is Romans 12.1. So get your Bibles. Let's just turn to Romans 12.1. This is what we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, if you've got your Bible, make sure you turn there because there's different translations Again, Romans is so deep and complex that we can't even quite get the language right. So we just need the Holy Spirit to teach us. Because the truth is even hard to interpret. It's still true, but I'm just saying it's deep. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit right now to help us to interpret this word. Heavenly Father, right now, we know that you're good. Your word says that you're good. Jesus, (laughs) why? Do you find so much value in us that you would do what you did? And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you will be our comforter, our counselor, and in this case, our translator to the word of God. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here in our midst, and you're welcome in our reading. All right. So Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you. So he's making a very specific plea. Again, this is as if an attorney is speaking. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, you need to get a glimpse of what 
God's mercy is. You need to understand. You actually need to see God's grace active in your life. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is true and proper worship. Your translations might say, this is your spiritual act of worship, or this is right worship. This is worship done the right way. It comes across that way. So in light, when we get a view of God's grace, his mercy, what he's done that we did not deserve, the response should be, we offer our bodies as what? It's living sacrifice. So again, this is the character stuff. It puts a little bit of a demand on us. It actually even puts a demand. Are you ready for this? It, God's grace puts a demand on our bodies, how we live, and our lifestyle. Offer them as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is true worship. What we did a few minutes ago was true worship too, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. What he's saying is, True worship is how we live our lives. Let's just let that sink in. Then he says, true worship, living this life, acting it out, how do you do it? Verse 2 goes into how you actually do it. It says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, right? Don't conform to this pattern of this world. This is so difficult. Like we conform to the world, we don't even realize we've done it. It's like a slow burn. Like we're in the, we're in the bathtub and the, the, the heat's been turned up, we don't even realize we're cooking in our own juices. I lived in South Carolina for a year. I came home with a southern accent. I had no idea. I picked it up. I was in that environment. I was steeped in that environment. And then it literally changed my language. And we don't realize we are in Southern California materialistic culture. We don't think that we're that bad. We think that we're actually okay. Specifically when we go to Orange County and we see how materialistic they are, right? But we don't realize how bad we are because we've been living in this culture and we've we're in a pattern. Some of us are in a holding pattern. Some of us are, have fallen into this American dream, hook, line, and sinker. We've done the American dream without the founder of the American dream, which is God. We've taken God out of our American dream, and that is not healthy. That becomes a system. It becomes a pattern. And that pattern tells you that you have to have stuff in order to be fulfilled. That pattern tells you that you have to fulfill your desires to be fulfilled, that your your material needs are good, that your sensual needs are even better, Um, your place, your status, you're crawling up that ladder. That is the pattern that you need to fall into in order to be fulfilled. And Paul says, don't buy that one. Don't, ready? Don't conform. Don't conform, but rather transform. And those are the two contrasts that I want you to think about, challenge you. I want you to look at 
those two right there. Because there's a difference. And we can easily be duped. There is a difference between being conformed and being transformed, right? You know, there's a difference. And we're going we're gonna to look at the language right now. We can be conformed. We can fall into conformity where we begin to fit a certain idea. We, we fall into, right? Uh, you guys know I like Catholics, right? I'm not picking on Catholics today. I really am not, but I have to use it as an illustration. And we'll pick on Protestants too, trust me. But think about this. Some of you have been confirmed in the Catholic faith, which is probably a good thing because you learned values, you learned the doctrine, you, you, you understand it. At least you understand it, hopefully you understand it you know, with your mind, so you've been, you've been confirmed. But that does not mean that you have been transformed. I think it'd be awesome if the Catholics changed their course from confirmation to transformation because I think that that would be more biblical. And again, that's, we're, we're just as bad, right? I'm just, Protestants are just as bad because we'll, we're really notorious for this. We will buy into cultural Christianity rather than allowing the gospel to change us. We'll buy into, we'll buy the t-shirt, right? I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to do the heavy lifting. I don't want to change from the inside out. I'm just going to buy the t-shirt and the bracelet instead. I'm going to go to the concert and I'm going to post it on Facebook. If I just do this religious thing, then I can harbor this area of my life and I can hide it really well. Or I can have, again, it goes back to that revelation thing that we do. I can have a sense of control. If I live this religious lifestyle, I can have a sense of control just as long. Okay, you ready for this? We can do it too. We Protestants can conform to the ways of this world, and we dupe ourselves because we do it in the covering of religion. Religion is just as bad as the world because it is a system that tells us that you have to do in order to be valued. You have to perform in order to be valued. You have to serve in a certain way in order to be valued. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says something completely different. It says, no, you are valued for who you are and how I have made you and the vision that I have for you in your life. That's your true value. So this is get rid of conforming to a religious practice. Get rid of it. Quit counting your beads. Quit going to your classes. Protestants, are you ready? Quit going to your conferences. Quit going to your concerts. I'm not saying don't do that. Of course not. But do you just, let's just not dupe ourselves. Don't fall into confirmation. Fall into transformation. The word transformation that comes across in the Greek is where we get our term, our word metamorphosis. Morph into what God has called us to do. I think probably one of the reasons why the church in America is so stagnant is because we've got used to, we fit this mold, we've got, this is the way that we are. We're cultural Christians, we're Americans, so therefore we're Christians, right? You want to, I'll prove this one to you. Like, go to the Bible Belt. Like, when I was in the Bible Belt, there is, there is a fine line between going to church and going to cocktail parties. They serve the same purpose. It's socially, it's culturally, it's what you do. 
Don't conform to that way of thinking. Be transformed. See, I think that I think one reason why we're so sterile as a church is because we're still in larvae form. We're, we've conformed and we're caterpillars. But God's vision for us is to morph into the butterfly, right? That's transformation. And how do we do it? Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by what? Ready? The renewing of your mind. Like, this is the battlefield that Joyce Myers talks about. There is a battlefield going on in your mind. This is the interior life that Paul is is getting us to address. He's forcing us. He's pushing our character. No, you're not going to be filled by the things that are external, right? Likewise, you should not be affected by external circumstances, I think this is probably one of the hardest things for us believers to get into our hearts. Your car breaks down, you get depressed. Is that, is that how God wired us? No. That circumstantial affliction, the way that Paul is, is pushing us, the way that Jesus designed us, it says, when you come up against a conflict of any sort, whether it's trauma, whether it's a flat tire, whether it's relational issues, whether you're, whether you're broke, no matter what comes up against us, whether it is spiritual or practical, the transformed mind will choose to see it as an opportunity that God is going to help us to grow. We get transformed by the renewing of our mind. I don't quite understand my interior world. There is some type of a weird connection between my heart and my mind and my soul. I don't know how it all connects. I just know that it is internal. And I know that if we are to grow spiritually, we have to do some internal work because life flows from the heart, from the spirit. Holy, okay, you are born sinners, but you are no longer sinners. You have, the, the, you have God living inside of you, for lack of a better term. He is inside, and he's transforming, and the Holy Spirit is informing your emotions. And you better yet, the Holy Spirit right now is informing your mind to think about things differently. Transformation. So what does the, ref- what does the renewed mind look like? What does it think about? How does it act as believers with a renewed mind that are heading towards transformation, how does it think? How does it act? How does it function? Uh, let's see, what does your Bible say? Uh, uh, this is your spiritual act of worship. What else do what else you guys have? Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the end, of, the end of 1. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. True and proper. What else? Reasonable act. Rational. Yes, we didn't have these versions for first service. Reasonable. Isn't this bizarre? You understand why Romans is so complex. For, for one sentence, the end of one sentence, we have been told that worship is spiritual, that worship is reasonable, that worship is true, and to make things more complicated, that worship is rational. How can your spiritual life and your rational life become one. Don't those things seem to contradict each other? They do in the world. 
The world tells us that anything is spiritual is not rational. The scientific mind tells you that. If you push the boundaries of the scientific method, it's going to deny the spiritual world altogether. This is the beauty of the scriptures. In the end of one sentence, it says, now your faith is spiritual, your worship is spiritual, and it's rational. So here's the good news for us when we're renewing our minds. It is you can come to faith with your rational mind. You can turn this thing on, and you can reason your way into faith if you need to. How many people are analytical? Just give me the answers. Yeah, see, they're in here. Just show me the facts. I don't want the warm fuzzies. I, I'm not intuitively led. I'm a, I'm a big intuitive mess half the time. I'm like, oh, let's go over here now. Let's go over here now. I feel this way. Let's do this. Some of us are like, no, I'm only going to do it if it makes sense. And I'm telling you today, the gospel of Jesus Christ makes complete sense when we are dealing with a renewed mind. Amen. The virgin birth of Jesus makes complete sense to the renewed mind. Jesus taking on human form to die for my sins, is, it makes complete sense with the renewed mind because if you think about it spiritually and logically, there is no other way to eternity. Just think about it. Apply your logical mind if you're those Thomas types. Jesus will even allow you to stick your fingers in his side to prove to you that he is real. The renewed mind will look at the world the way it is, but the renewed mind will also look beyond and above and into the spiritual world and will see things that aren't noticeable and they will be normal. Well, maybe you're somewhat new to the church. It, for us, it is normal to think that God will heal your body. It's just normal. It's just what the renewed mind thinks. But if, you just, if, but if anybody just wandered in here, and they'd be like, well, we're going to pray for sick people at the end of the church. We're going to go back here, and we're going to pray the prayer of faith that heals the sick, and we're going to believe that it's going to happen. You're like, your neighbor, like, you guys are nuts, right? Your neighbor's not, because they're, they're thinking from the pattern of the world. We're thinking from a transformed mind, where anything is open and everything is possible. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So what area of your mind needs to be renewed so that you will be transformed? I have been transformed, but guess what? I am still being transformed. Right? It's a continuous process. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is here and is not yet. We are experiencing heaven right now, and then we get to experience all of heaven in its entirety when we move into eternity. But actually, eternity does start here and now. You're in it. So we get the fullness of God deep down inside of us. But the renewing of the mind, that's the big challenge. It's the challenge of me. I have to choose and I have to capture every thought and make them captive and make them obedient to Christ in order for me to continue to be transformed. 
every circumstance, every negative circumstance, within a split second, I have to choose whether I'm going to let it build me up or tear me down. Like, is this drag on my life? Is it going to make me a better man or am I going to be a victim? We have to choose. What can I learn from this circumstance? Will I allow God to heal me in this circumstance? Well, that's a big can of worms right there, right? Allowing God to heal you, that means he messes with your stuff. Sometimes we don't want God messing with our stuff because we like our stuff. It's comfortable. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. The way that, again, the Greek comes across is don't fit in to that mold. Don't be pushed into a mold. And I'm telling you right now, you are an individual. You're uniquely, you're uniquely created. And if you're drawn, uh, hopefully you're drawn into this place and you see our saints, you see our, our, our people that serve. They're amazing. You need to, I, I hope that you're attracted to our leaders. But do you know that God doesn't want you to become them, that God wants you to become you. So don't be pushed into my form or a pastor's form or a leadership form. No, be transformed. Move yourself into the kingdom, your unique gifts and your unique style. God's wired us all differently. Each church has its unique style. One of the temptations is to push a church into a mold or a form that God did not create. He's created us to be unique in this area, and he's created you to be unique in this area. So don't conform to the patterns of the world. Be transformed. What I'm trying to tell you, break the mold. Break that mold. Whatever you feel like you need to be or act or whatever, break it. You don't have to be or act a certain way. You need to be who God has called you to be. He's got a specific vision. It is his righteousness. It's not yours. And it's absolutely amazing what God has planned for you. Break that mold. Because the pattern of this world, the mold of this world, is green jello with cat food in it. I did it. What do you think? You think you finally get it? Yeah. Right? There it is. I told you it would work. But do you see the alternative? Does that make sense? You fall into the pattern of this world, and you're just sitting at a lousy table. And you're, you're pretending like you like the food, but deep down inside you're not, because you're eating cat food that's in stuck in jello. And it's full of fake smiles. <laughs> All right. Is that good? All right, let's get the band to come up. As they're on their way up, listen, to, this is the same scripture said a different way, different translation. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around and place it before God as an offering. That's worship. 
You're eating, you're sleeping, you're going to work, you're clocking in, you're being nice to people. This is your worship. This is what you did was just a, a symbol of, uh, of worship, corporate expression of worship. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. What's God doing for you? Embrace it. Do not become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even, be, without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Amen? Quit trying to let the outside change you. Allow God to change you from the inside out. Realizing and recognize what he, what he wants for you and quickly responding to it. But God wants something for you specifically, even in this season, but you have to choose, and it takes a quick response. Like God even wants to heal you and wants to have you, you, like there's a breakthrough that's hanging right over your head, but you need to respond to it, and you need to respond to it quickly because there's an opportunity that takes place. What's that opportunity that you need to respond to quickly? What's God doing? Unlike the culture, okay. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. I am speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all the things that God has given me, and especially I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as everyone else does. In pure grace, it is important that you do not uh, misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing God's goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and what he does for us, not by what we are and what we are doing for him. Does that make more sense? What is God doing for you? How are you responding to that? Not what are you doing for God and is he blessing you? Is that? So break the mold this week. Um, There's another way to say it. How can you differentiate yourself from your environment, from your cultural environment? How can you be different and not be the same as everybody else? Let's just say you're in a Christian environment. How do you even differentiate yourself to your Christian environment? What gifts do you bring to the table? Because the way that the, way that the Bible tells us, the way that Jesus talks about it, the way that Paul talks about it, he says that there are, there are many members and there are many parts to a body. Which part are you? Which, what are you going to offer? What are you going to contribute? How can you be different? How can you be different in a godly way? One of the ways that we are different as a church is that we hone in on what God is saying. I'm not saying other churches don't do it, but we, we're, we're trying to practice it. So we had, a, we had our intercessory prayer group. We were praying for you this morning before a lot of you got out of bed. And God, in his grace, gave us a view and a vision of what is going on in with you in your life. And so this is what our team came up with. This is what, if you need prayer, this is your opportunity to jump on it. There's gonna be elders and prayer partners. They're gonna be here in the back. 
we would love to agree with you in prayer and to see that breakthrough that's gonna take place. But here we call these words of knowledge. This is God speaking to us directly, we believe. One of them was circulatory issues. So of course, circulatory issues with the physical heart, but specifically in the area of cholesterol and triglycerides. And, and it's as if God was speaking directly to the blood itself. That there was going to, this is the word that was spoken directly. There was going to be a cleansing of the blood. As is it, not, not just like Jesus cleansing your blood, but your actual physical blood is just going to be washed clean. And all of that sugar and all that junk that's in your blood that's clogging your arteries, it's just going to be purified. And it's going to happen today, but you need to receive prayer for it. I actually had this experience years ago. My cholesterol was off the charts scary. And, and it, was in a, it was in this building, it was in a meeting like this, where the peace of God fell over me and I could feel the washing of my blood. And I went into the doctor's office the, that week and it was normal numbers. Amen? All right, here's confession time. I managed to mess up my normal numbers because I chose not, I chose, you know, the lack of character instead of taking care of my temple. But God heals anyway. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to get prayer for that today. God will heal you. This one, um, cancer, is one that's on our heart quite a bit. And this word came up specifically this week. Uh, if you're dealing with cancer of any type at all, uh, we have a passion to destroy cancer as a church. Like, we're, we're, we're angry at this one. Like, is it, it, you know, this um, indignation boils up within us whenever somebody's struggling with cancer. So I want to encourage you to go back and pray for that. Chronic migraines. Like, maybe this is just the season for a headache, right? So if you're dealing with this chronic migraine thing, you want healing for that, go back for that. Um, of course, trauma. I talked about that earlier today. Healing for trauma. And here's the interesting one that I think... Uh, I'm not sure if we got to this one first service or not. But feeble knees, this is a unique word of knowledge. So somebody dealing with very feeble knees, like there's a weakness in the knee. And I, it's associated to it. I'm not sure. This, I think that this is the same person. But the hands that are hanging low, it might be associated with the feeble knees. So I don't know. Like that's not necessarily a, a diagnostic one, but... Does that mean anything to anybody that your just hands hang low? It's as if you can't lift them. It's as if they're heavy. It's as if you're a knuckle dragger or something. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to go back and receive from God today. If I get you to stand with me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, right now, we come before you with our choice to transform our minds this morning. God, I pray you give us a transformed mind that will believe in miracles and think that that's just normal behavior in God's kingdom. God, I pray for a transformed mind that will say, you know, you know what? I can reason my way into faith. And as in fact, I can reason somebody else into faith and they're going to receive Jesus as a result of my conversation with them because I've chosen to be halfway intellectual about my faith. Father, right now, I just pray that we will notice that we will have discernment that when we are in the world and of the world. 
God, I pray that you give us discernment when we're eating jello with cat food in it. Let, God, I pray we would wake up to that fact. And God, I pray we will no longer conform to the mold of this world. We will choose transformation over conformity each and every time when it's presented to us. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if this message for some strange reason resonated with you, and you want to know him personally, pray this prayer with me. But more importantly, make sure you grab a pastor or an elder, and you declare with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, and you shall be saved. Heavenly Father, right now we thank you so much for your grace that we have a vision for. And I pray right now that we will catch your vision for our lives. We will catch your vision for your mercy. And God, we receive your mercy. Jesus, we receive you into our hearts for the forgiveness of our sins because we know that reasonably it's the best deal in the universe. So I pray right now you bless us. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.